Welcome and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Make no mistake, there's a lot of hurt and anguish in the world. We all experience some form of pain at some point. How do we get through? And when we're not suffering, how do we offer help and hope to those in despair? To answer those questions, here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page. So, my name is, if you didn't catch it in the beginning, my name is Steve Page. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my pleasure to bring the Word of God this morning. If you're able, please stand as I read the Word of God and the verses we're going to reflect on as we go through our time together. And it's one verse out of Psalm 34, and then uh, several verses out of Isaiah 61, and it goes like this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The spirit of the of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They, these ones who are in ashes, who are in despair, who are mourning, who are broken, who are captive, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, you know, as a pastor, I have the great pleasure of listening, you know, to a lot of stories of the folks in church, and very often those stories are packed full of hurt and pain, frustration, confusion, and frequently if I'm I'm with a guy and and, um, we're talking things out, I will eventually not only pray over them, but I'll ask if I can lay hands on them to pray for them. And it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, throughout the counseling time, the guy is, he's, he's vacillating between hurt, sadness, anger, hurt, sadness, anger, you know, and, and he's mostly uh, nonverbally showing anger. But when I simply lay hands on them and I begin to pray the pain, the tears start flowing, even with some of the biggest guys. And I'm sure if I, if I spoke casually with them about their struggles, and we ended our time together, and I said to them, you know, okay, brother, thanks for sharing. I'll keep you in prayer this week. They, they may have appreciated it, and they probably would have felt a little more encouraged, a little more cared for, that kind of thing. But when you emotionally and prayerfully and physically get close to the broken, and they tangibly experience an expression of love, whoa, it takes them to a whole new depth of experience. Now today we continue in our sermon series, sermon series that's focusing on the character of God. And we're exploring what God is like and how that character affects us and affects the way we live our lives and the way we live our lives in the world with other people. Now as we just read from Psalm 34 and Isaiah 61, one of the most important features of God is that he is close to the broken, that he is close and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that's what his good news, his gospel is aimed at doing. It's aimed at, the gospel is aimed at doing, 
this, binding up broken hearts, turning ashes into beauty, despair into praise, taking someone who has a shattered heart and building them up to be an oak of righteousness for the display of God's glory. That's the heart of God. That's the central objectives of our God. Amen? And I focus on these features of God because we live in a world that is so permeated with brokenness. So permeated with brokenness. I, I preach in this because every person in this room knows or will one day know the profound experience of a shattered heart, of a despairing soul, of being emotionally and relationally and spiritually in ashes. How many of you already know and have been there about what I'm talking about? And this is why that these traits and these goals of God need to be preached because they give us so much hope. They give us so much of an opportunity for healing. But folks, here's the thing. All of what I just laid out there in Scripture about God's heart, God's goal, God's character, it's all good, it's all true. However, for far too many folks, it is not their lived experience. Yes, such words are comforting. But when they are only words, they are only comforting to an extent. For many of us, if we're dead honest, these truths about God are really these lofty ideals that hang over our life. They make for a great bumper sticker or screensaver or something you put in a frame you hang in your kitchen. But existentially, experientially, they are far too infrequent in our daily lives. So I want to spend the rest of my sermon dealing with the question of how. How does the truth of the character of God... The character that says he's close to the brokenhearted, close to the crushed in spirit. How does that actually become manifest in real life? Well, this is where you and I come in. We, God's people, through the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pull down these great truths about God's character from the ether of lofty ideals, and we bring them down into the daily experiences of those around us. You know, yes, I know that people can and do have individual experiences of healing and transformation directly with the Holy Spirit himself. That's true. But what the Bible teaches is that God also is made manifest indirectly as we Christians demonstrate his character, demonstrate his power, demonstrate his presence to other people. Now, the New Testament makes it clear that it's not only, no longer anyway, only Jesus that has the job description of that messianic mission in Isaiah 61. He has now given us the honor of carrying out this work, that kind of work in our world. And after he rose from the dead and he met up with the disciples, in the Gospel of John it says this, he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that word as or just as indicates a parallelism, meaning that, that Jesus is making a direct parallel between what the Father sent Jesus to do and what Jesus sends us to do in the world. In other words, Jesus was sent on an Isaiah 61 mission, and so are we. Now many, if not most of us, when we read Isaiah 61, we're inspired by such a glorious, magnificent job description. But we may also deep, uh, deep down inside think this, how in the world would I help someone move from ashes to beauty, from despair to praise, from a shattered heart to becoming a solid oak for a God? I'm a stinking accountant for crying out loud. How do I do that? 
Not that you're a stinking accountant, but you know. <laughs> well, if you think like that, if you're thinking, I, I, I don't have a clue, well, you're in luck. You're really in luck today because I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about one thing. I'm not going to give you a truckload. I'm going to talk about one thing, one specific thing any Christian can do if they work at it. A thing that can help others experience, really experience the closeness and healing of God when they are feeling broken and crushed in spirit. And it revolves around this one idea, just one idea, listening. The major first tool of every Christian's toolbox to help this world is to listen to it. So first of all, out of all the things we do, why focus on this? How many of you have seen the movie uh, What Women Want with Mel Gibson? How many of you guys have seen that? Okay, it's a chick flick. I get it, guys. That's why the hands are not up. It's all right. But, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the movie. So Mel Gibson is this character that suddenly acquires the ability to hear the inner thoughts of women, which is a real interesting trip. And, and so, you know, you're, uh, uh, in that same year it was released, the, the, the woman who wrote the screenplay, she was asked, so what, what do women want? And she says, what women want is what all people want. They want someone to listen. Amen, ladies? Yeah, amen. But can you see the, experience, the, the significance of that point? I mean, think about it. Who would ever walk around saying, yeah, you know what, for the next 50 years, if no one ever listened to me, so what? Nobody would say that. Nobody, and they wouldn't say it like that. Sorry, that was way too Jersey. They, they, <laughs> I didn't mean that. All right, so, but, you know, they, but you wouldn't say that. Why? Because we know intuitively that this is not only an absurd thought, but it will inevitably, if we think like that, well, I don't need nobody to listen to me, that will lead inevitably to tremendous pain in our lives because we all know every soul, every soul must feel heard. It must feel listened to in order for it to feel valued, to feel respected, to feel loved, for it to have any hope of wholeness and strength and a sense of honor. But I also want to make another point about that movie. You know, for 90% of the movie, Gibson, when he hears the thoughts of women, he uses that power to manipulate and use women. But by the end of the movie, what's really interesting, he learns how to truly listen to a woman. And it's at that point, it's at that point when he truly learns how to listen, he loses the superpower altogether. <laughs> the girl's are like, oh, I want that to happen for my husband. No. Here's the thing. He loses the superpower altogether. Why? Because now he becomes the kind of person who wants to listen. That's why it's now gone. He doesn't need it. My point is, one of the first things we do to understand as a goal of a listener is not to learn some tricky techniques. You can look that up on Google. Go for it. There's really good stuff. The first thing we need to understand is to seek to become the kind of person who wants to listen. And about 75% of the men just said, oh, boy. Because, look, if not, if we're not seeking to do this first, all the greatest techniques in the world are just bells and whistles and dressings, and people are going to see it and smell it a mile away, and they know you're faking it. Look, in psychology, we learned that one of our most primal needs of the human species is this. I need you to listen to me. And it's not because humans are egotistical. It's because listening is so fundamental to the experience of love, which is the deep yearning of every human's heart. As Christian professor David Augsburger put it, and I love this, being heard 
is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. You see, when, when you feel listened to, you feel valued. You feel respected. You feel safe. And now, and now trust has a chance to develop in that relationship. And, and where there are feelings of value and safety and respect and trust, etc., now we open the door to healing and open the door to growth and change. Now we open the, the chance, the opportunity for ashes to turn the beauty for despair into praise. Or to turn around the other way, without the feelings of value and safety and respect and trust, people will remain emotionally distant to you. Or maybe even become completely closed off to your input your guidance, and your solutions, even though they might be right ones for their life. Let me lay out something right off the bat that some researchers have found out over the years, and if you remember anything today, remember this. People are most often to change an input when they feel at least three things. Heard, understood, validated. Now, validated doesn't mean that you agree with what they think or you agree with what they want to do. It's a way of saying, hey, you know, given a situation, I can see why you really feel that. I can see why you want to leave your husband. I can see why you want to do that thing, you know? I understand. So, for example, someone discloses to you, I want to divorce my spouse, or I'm thinking about getting an abortion. I really feel like God has abandoned me. Now, how do you normally respond to such things? You know, for a lot of Christians, in those moments, our strong impulse is to persuade people not to have such thoughts, not to do such action. You know, don't think that. Don't feel that, and definitely don't do that. That's what we want to do right away, isn't it? But unless the person feels heard, understood, and validated, you can be right as rain theologically, philosophically, psychologically, and they will be closed off to your input. Because when someone feels heard, understood, and validated, they feel this. You get me. You get me. And until I know you really get me, until I know you really get my fears, my hurt, my anger, my pain, my ashes, my despair, I can't trust your advice, I can't trust your guidance, and I am definitely not accepting of your correction. The point I'm trying to make is summarized well by these two theologians, and it says this. I love this quote. The first condition of healing is to give voice to pain, and the first duty of love is to give advice. You notice when I say that, that, that suddenly that's a lousy quote? Take that to heart. The first duty of love is to listen. When we live that, when we enflesh that, we enflesh the loving character of God. So can I encourage you to allow the other person to express themselves, however horrific thing they're expressing, without you interrupting, without you judging, refuting, discounting, or minimizing their struggle and pain. Which leads me to another crucial point in listening, and that is self-awareness. So important. Self-awareness is crucial because, look, here's the reality, folks. When you really start to truly listen to the depth of someone's life, of someone's pain, of the world's pain, you are likely going to experience some anxiety. You are going to hear some anxiety-provoking things. Trust me. And if you're not in touch with your anxiety and your anger and your fears that keep creeping up inside of you as you listen to this stuff, you may not be able to respond in a helpful manner to the crushed in spirit. In fact, they may stay crushed or get worse. For example... 
person is talking to you about their pain in their marriage or about getting an abortion or about wrestling with pornography, in that moment, are you aware? Are you aware of how your emotions are now getting revved up inside? Are you aware of your strong desire to put on your Superman cape to rescue that person, to fix that person, to save that person? Are you aware of the near almost compulsive desire to throw a Bible verse at them so you can get the Word of God in them? Are you wanting to throw out some kind of pious though useless platitude like, hey, don't worry, God's in control? I've had that said to me, and I'm thinking, really? I've gone through six years of seminary. I'd never heard that. Thank you. Amazing. That's my other talent. I'm the pastor of sarcasm. So, you know, just... Uh... But seriously, are you kidding me? This is the best you got? I know. I know most men have never done this. So, men, this is not for you. It's for the guy next to you, okay? But when I used to listen to my wife with her pain and struggles, notice I put this in the past tense, by the way. When I used to listen to my wife about her pain and struggles, I used to do at least, at least two things. I do a lot more, but I at least do two things. I would first minimize her problem. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Relax. God's in control. Or, okay, you know, what, what I'm really saying, by the way, what I'm saying that is, look, I can't handle your anxiety about this, so I'm going to shrink it to make it easier for me to deal with and to get you to stop talking. That's what I'm really doing with that when I shrink her issue. Or I would shoot out some unsolicited advice on how to fix it because if I fix it, I, I can stop hearing about it. Amen? No ladies gave me an amen on that, huh? Look, my point is, notice how both of these responses are really underneath, not about my wife. They're about me and what my anxiety can handle. And after about 860 fights around this issue, I finally decided to go into my soul and ask myself, why do I keep doing this? And you know what it was? Honest to goodness, I found it was my fear. It was my fear of her getting stuck in a negative place and not getting out of it. Now, that wasn't her fear. She trusted the process that, okay, I'm in a bad spot now, but if I process this, I'll get out of it eventually. But I wasn't sure about that, and that was my fear. So instead of me helping her find healing for her broken heart, she just wore my anxiety of getting stuck in negativity. And so I became unhelpful and even hurtful in my responses. This is why we must be so self-aware when we listen. Because here's the deal, folks. I'm going to give you a mathematical equation. Anxiety times anxiety never equals peace. <laughs> now, let me say something quick about bringing up Bible verses with the broken, because this is really important. When you bring up Bible verses with the broken, two things you've got to consider, your timing and your motivation. Timing and motivation. When we bring up Bible verses to each other out of a deep place of listening, they have a whole different outcome and impact than when they come out of our anxiety to, please don't do that, this is what God says, don't you know God hates divorce, you know, this kind of a thing, we throw these Bible verses out. But I can't tell you how many times, I can't tell you how many times I have been with people in very deep emotional pain or when I'm in with them in the hospital and I did not meet them with something perky like, hey, you know, God works all things together for good and blah, blah, blah. Those are all true statements out of the Bible, but not appropriate at that point. So what do you do sometimes? Honest to goodness, this is what I'll do. I'll read from the scriptures and I'll read this. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Will you forget me forever? My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow 
week. That too is scripture. And that's what I use to meet people in their pain. And, when I, and I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, when I bring out these verses first, I am often met with, yes, that's exactly how I feel right now. And with that kind of validation of their pain through Scripture, now there's trust. Now there's this feeling, oh, you get me. So put away your pom-poms. Stop the cheerleading. Okay? And, 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 and deal with your anxiety. Because when, when you're less afraid and anxious of negative emotions, you can meet people where they are at, instead of trying to prod them to get them where you need them to be so you can feel better. Amen? All right, so here's the next thing. Be truly present, be truly focused, and attentive to people as you listen. Take a genuine interest in their life. Concentrate on what's being said. I'll give you a quick example of this to show you what I mean. Oh, there, there it is right there. All right, I'll show you what I mean by this. So one day I went to go see a therapist, you know, and the first time you see a therapist, you got to give your story, your background, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, she asked me my story. I started telling her how I grew up, my family, the situation, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as a person who struggles with shame, you know, one of the things you feel in a moment like that is I'm not really worthy of listening to very long. I mean, seriously, that's what really goes on through your head. I'm not really worthy of listen, being listened to very long. So I started chunking out years of my life, and I jumped forward, jumped forward, jumped forward. And she just cut me off. She just cut me off. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, it's getting kind of boring. And she, <laughs> I said that to her. She didn't say that to me. <laughs> but she leans into me like this, and she looks me right in the eyes, and she says, your life fascinates me. Now, what do you think I did in that moment? Oh, I totally clammed up and shut down. No! Oh, I started sharing like a madman all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Ah, and the thing is, because now I could open up, now my journey to healing can begin. Now I can return to becoming an oak of righteousness for the display of God's glory because she said, your life fascinates me. And if that's the disposition we want to express to those whom we are listening to. Your life fascinates me. You and your journey are important to me. You and all its pain, your life with all its pain or mundaneness or struggle is meaningful to me. Because think about it, folks. How many people have ever had said to them in their lives, your life fascinates me? That might have happened to you. Maybe you can count them less than one hand. How many people have ever had, when you share your pain, somebody says to you, wow, Tell me more about that. Please, let me hear some more. See, these kinds of statements and questions are far more rare than you think. So I want to ask you, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you, be that one person in someone's life who says, your life fascinates me. Please tell me more about what you're going through that must be so difficult. And you will be amazed at how God will use you and where this conversation will go. And by the way, can I say this real quick? Don't put this out while you're talking to someone. Honest to good is not my opinion. This is scientific data. Scientific data shows just by the mere presence of a phone on a table, even if it's off, sends the message, this conversation is interruptible. Sends the message that as important as our conversation is, whatever buzzes this is going to be more important than you. That's what it says. Parents at the dinner table, that's what it says. I beg you, put the bloody thing away. Amen? <laughs> Great, that's the biggest point you remember, but all right. So, 
The last thing here, the last thing, we got to move on. Be lovingly curious. Look, you don't need a PhD in psychology to be able to say, hey, your life fascinates me, okay? But we do need to be lovingly curious. See, curiosity makes us listeners by disposition instead of lecturers, instead of fixers, instead of advice givers. Ever see those T-shirts that says, he is greater than I? Ever see that? Well, i got a new T-shirt I want to make, okay? And, and, and it looks like this. Always remember this. Questions are better than statements. Questions are better than opinions, okay? Much better than opinions, by the way. Look, I'm going to tell you the truth. 35 years of ministry. You know what? No one has ever told me in their whole life, I was opinionated unto healing. No one's ever said that, okay? Restrain from giving them. You'll make the world a lot better. You know, global warming. Keep the hot air in there, all right? Now, I don't know where this comes from. They're not in my notes. It's not in my notes. I hope Dan doesn't watch this. All right, so, so here's the thing. Writer Stephen Covey once said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And curiosity is the disposition of seeking to understand. Now, let's be careful when we rush to words to reply. Be careful that they're not coming out of, say, the need to impress or to show how, how you have all the answers. And sometimes many of us, in our desire to be really, really helpful, feel like we have to have something brilliant come out of our mouth, something helpful, something useful, that kind of a thing. And when we put that on ourselves to be Joe Therapist or Joe Answer Man, what do you start to feel? Well, for most of us, we start to feel inadequate. We feel inadequate because we know we're not therapists and we know we don't have the answers. And what happens when you feel inadequate again and again? When you start to feel inadequate, what you want to do in that conversation is get out of it in a hurry. Or we want to avoid any future conversations that make us feel that we're constantly way over our pay grade in helping somebody. Okay? You start to feel like, I'm not going to do that twice. I felt like an idiot. So then you stop being God's hands, God's arms, God's ears, and God's words to people. But you don't have to run. You don't have to be a trained therapist to really do a great job of helping people. It's really okay to say this. Permission to everybody to say this. You know, I'm trying so hard to think of something wise right now to share with you, but to be honest, I'm really not sure how to respond to that. Given all that you shared, how can I best help you? Do you know how many times I have said that as a trained therapist and pastor in my office? Some of you know I've used that with you, you know? And it's because I really don't know. And if you're not sure what to say, feel free to ask. And in a similar vein, something I found helpful, too, is check with the speaker as you're going along, if it's a long conversation, if you really understand so you know how to respond, you don't respond with the wrong thing. Like, for example, wait, wait, let me, hold on just a second. Can I just make sure I understand what you're saying? Do you mean, like, X, Y, and Z? Did I get that right? Because I really want to be sure I, I understand you. See, it's okay to solicit feedback as the conversation is going on. Again, because the goal is not you coming off as knowing what to do. The goal is to help them feel heard, understood, and validated, to feel they feel like you get them. That's the goal. So if you don't get them, let them know. I don't get you right now. Help me with that, okay? All right, so now I go through all this with listening as I finish up. Because nearly all of us carry around deep in our souls deep secrets and dark fears, disturbing doubts and stories of shame. And too many of us have no one and no place to speak fearlessly about what's killing us inside. We don't have a group that we can turn to with whom we can be completely transparent. 
And as a result, the secrets, the fears, the doubts, the shame remain, even in the people of God. And the God who really is close to the brokenhearted is never experienced that way. What a tragic outcome. Can you be that person? Can you be that person to whom a person who drinks too much can finally open up? Can you be that person to whom a woman who wants to get an abortion finally shares her feelings? Can you be that person to whom a man struggling with pornography or a teen who's wondering about suicide can finally be honest about it? Can you be that person today? Look, folks, there's piles of people brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, and they need someone. They need someone to get close to that broken heart, to that crushed spirit. And I'm telling you right now, there's not enough counselors or therapists or pastors in the world to do all of that. We need you to step up into the ministry of listening. Pray to the Lord God how you can do that. Again, I close with that great quote. The first condition of healing is to give voice to pain. And the first duty of love is to listen. That's how the character of God becomes enfleshed in our world. Amen? If you've come here this morning and you're feeling a little bit in ashes, your life's in despair, you're feeling broken or crushed in spirit, don't leave without having one of us pray for you. We're going to have a prayer team to the right and to the left. Seriously, I know the game's coming on a little later, but put it on TiVo or whatever. And, and, and it's just, it's our opportunity to serve you. If you're crushed, we want to hear about it. If you're broken, we want to hear about it. We want to be a part, be used by God to help bring healing and wholeness to your soul. And now for the rest of us, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to read a blessing written by this one pastor back in the 19th century. And it says this. So close your eyes and receive this blessing. Christ has no body on earth now but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. May God grant you all the grace, character, and gifts you need to be the body of Christ to others in all you do so that others will truly know and truly experience the character of God, the healing of God, so they may be able to display the glory of God in the world. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Be in peace. Enjoy the game. We are God's hands and feet. We are the ones to come alongside people who are hurting. And our first and maybe most important job is to listen. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Keona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. 
For Pastor Danchon and the entire staff at First Prayers, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.